couple emails as we finish our sermon series on generosity. I'm sorry. I was going to say generosity because <laughs> we love this sermon. It's generous. It's generous. And uh, we're talking about generosity. Two emails real quick this past week. Pastor Peter, thank you for your message this past Sunday. My wife and I are trying to buy a house at the moment and therefore are trying to save everything we can. I have to confess, I was wavering on our giving of 10% to the church and to other charities. And your sermon on Sunday just nailed home how important it is to give back what we've been so blessed with. In my short career as a social worker, at one time or another, working with individuals who are homeless, orphans, or just people who are very disadvantaged, it's always been my anchor realizing that the blessing that I have received, and I'm blessed beyond measure, and your message helped me to further realize that I need to lovingly and gratefully give back. Here's another email. I was thinking about generosity at work this past week because every year the company I work for donates money to the United Way. The company has a target for funds donated, and we try to reach it every year. The company then contributes a matching amount to the United Way. I was navigating through the webpages to donate the money and gave a small amount, $25, uh, figuring that I'd participate to be a part of the fundraising. Well, the next day I checked back on how much I donated last year, and I gave twice that, $50. I thought back to your sermon on generosity and how your credit card statement is really the best way to see what a person's priorities are. And I love his honesty. He says, I was disgusted with myself and I redid my entire donation up to $200 to two different charity organizations. And he says this, and I love this. If you've been paying attention, he says, I'm not going to lie, it felt really good to give additional money away. It was a liberating experience. Here's someone who is not enslaved to money. Here's someone who's not finding his security and hope in money. Here's someone who has the right perspective that says, everything I have comes from God. Everything I have belongs to God. Everything is a test of stewardship. It's not mine. Here's a person who says, I feel free. Whereas a lot of us are like, I'm anxious. I'm worried. What if? Being a financial professional, I've always been taught to make the money work for you. The implication being that you invest in the stock market so you're set for your retirement. I only recently have been taking that concept and trying to apply it a little differently. It's still important to make the money work, but instead of making the money work for you, make the money work for others. Provide a return for people who need it more. The effect is compounded the more you give, just like in the stock market. Instead of building a large nest egg for retirement, you're influencing people today and transforming their lives. Open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. We're going to read this passage that we've sort of anchored our last three Sundays on, and we're going to finish today. Command those, verse 17, who are rich in this present world, don't be arrogant or put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything, everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Paul says here, we're going to come back to this at the very end, that if you're a Christian, your perspective of how this whole deal, this world's going to end very much is going to impact your today with your stuff. 
You're either going to be free and liberated or you're going to be bound. And this is directly correlated with what you think this world is. So if you are one of those folks, makes perfect sense, who believes this world's all there is. This is all there is. And furthermore, maybe if you're a Christian who believes after this I go to heaven, wherever heaven is, some ethereal, spiritual. If that's what you believe, then you can't help but live from the world perspective of, hey, whoever dies with the most toys wins. Live it up to the fullest now because there's nothing coming later. But if your belief is, as Paul says, in the age to come, the kingdom that is to come, and you believe in a restored material world that is to come, it's going to change how you live now. So here's where we've been, right? So we're in the sermon series on generosity, and uh, we began this sermon series by asking the question, where is your hope? Where is your security? And by the way, this isn't just for people who have a lot. If you don't have a lot of money, and you're envious, you're jealous, you're resentful, you're angry at people who do, Furthermore, you're one of those people who are like, I compare myself to my college friends and they graduate. and They're doing so much better than I. Whoa, whoa, whoa is me. If that's you, like in self-pity mode, you are bound. You're enslaved. You're placing your hope in wealth and you're placing your hope in stuff. You're hoping you're placing your hope in money that's so insecure. So we've asked a larger question. Where is your hope? Where is your security, right? Last week then we talked about where everything comes from. Okay, so given the fact that we had this whole children's thing today and we were reminded that you're never too cool to do hand motions. We're going to do hand motions together. Ready? Here we go. These are three truths. Everything belongs to God. Say it with me. Not just Carlton. Everything belongs to God. (laughs) Everything comes from God. And everything is a test of stewardship. That's what we talked about last week. The question we asked him was, do you believe it? Do you believe that everything belongs to God? Everything comes from God and everything is a test of stewardship. So, today. Yeah, I've never had so many people after 9 o'clock service just come up to me and go, that hurt, man. That hurt. It was brutal, Carlton. Because we got, like, we got, like, we got down to, like, naked truth, authentic, honest, real. So if you haven't been to church in a while and you're going, this is what new community is like, you betcha. That's what our church is like. Look, we talked about... Because sometimes people go, you know, you preach these conceptual, like, theoretical sermons about the gospel and blah, blah, blah. I just want it to be practical. Today you're going to walk out here and go, (laughs) that was very practical. I'm going to give you a warning. I'm going to be up in your grill. I'm going to be up in your grill a little bit. In case you're going, well, that's I've been up in my own grill for the last month, okay? So just to let you know, this isn't just preaching to you, it's preaching to me. Because we're going to get painfully specific about why we're not more generous, okay? And we're going to have a very authentic, honest moment this morning, okay? So we're going to put away our masks and go, okay, where really are we, all right? Is that warning enough? Okay. See, now some of y'all are going to come up to you and go, that wasn't that bad. What are you making a big deal out of it for? Okay, anyway. Here we go. Verse 18. So Paul says, then command them to do good, that is you and me, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. And Paul here is hearkening back to what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, which was, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. In order for us to be generous, you got to go beyond having generous feelings to actually doing something. Okay? Like, you got to go beyond, how many of us have generous feelings? Many of us have generous feelings. You know what I mean? Like, oh, boy, I wish I could. Oh, I, I want to. You, you got to go. And Paul says there are two areas in which you got to go beyond generous feelings to actually acting. One is, he says, good 
deeds. What's he talking about? Here's what rich people have. And in case you're going to go in, I'm not rich. Listen to sermons one and two. Okay, we'll cover that already. Relatively speaking, where we are. You know what rich people have? We have extra. Extra what? We have extra time. Do you know you have extra time? How many of you don't think you have extra time? Of course you raise your hands. Of course you raise your hands. Because you go, I don't have extra time. Let me ask you something. Do you get Saturday and Sunday off? Do you get vacations? Do you get a day off of there? My point, my point. Many of us, not all of us, many of us, this was written to a culture in which people are like, you get Saturday, Sunday, weekends? What are weekends off? We're talking about Paul writing to a context in which people didn't have days off, people didn't have weekends off, people didn't have extra time. You know what many of us have? We have extra. Here's the reason why we don't feel like we have extra time. Now, I looked at a study done last year about volunteerism in America, people who give of their time to serve others. Do you know what I found? About 26% of Americans surveyed from ages 18 to like 65 actually serve somewhere. Interesting enough, do you know what the age group that's the least involved in volunteer work? 18 to 25. Gotcha. <laughs> You're sitting there going, How'd you... 18 to 25. The most actively involved is ages like 32 to 42. The least involved are people who are saying to themselves, I don't have extra time. And we'll talk about that in a moment, why we feel that, right? But, and here's the other thing, by the way. Obviously, women are a lot more actively involved in serving than men. Why did I find that? I mean, like, no surprise there. Here's what we do. Here's what we do. You and I have this thing called extra time. And so here's what we do on Saturdays, weekends, and so on. Here's what we do. Our culture provides us with message. So here's what we do our extra time. And this is nothing wrong. We go to Bulls games. We go to Bears games. We go out to eat. We go on trips on weekends. How many of you on weekends, a lot of times, are filled with activities for you because your friends invite you to do stuff? Anybody? Anybody? How many of us extra miles, air miles? We have this thing called air miles where, like, we get a free ticket to actually try. How many of us? Yes? Yes? Okay. You know what we do with all that extra? Our culture combines with this. Spend the time on who? On you. There's this culture vortex that sucks you in that says, all the extra time that you have, spend it on you. On you. So the reason why we feel pressure is we have our work, we have our thought, and then we stuff all of it, and you prioritize, and you go, who am I spending all this time for? And ask yourself honestly, how much of the time is actually serving others who are in need, serving organizations, serving people who are in need versus what you do for yourself? And what I do for myself. Now, here's the other thing. How many have ever been to a movie or sat through a video two, three hours, and you afterwards said this to yourself? That was so bad. Those are two hours of my life. Finish your sentence. I will never. (laughs) Some of you are like, that was last night. I know. I know. I know. How many of you guys have ever gone out to eat? Like you were excited about this restaurant. Yelp, five-star reviews. Ah, You went out to eat. And afterwards, you're just like, meh. Anybody? Anybody? Okay. How many of you have actually used extra miles to go on a trip that you built this thing off for? And actually, my point. Thing is, here's what I've never heard. I have never heard somebody spend half a day, a few hours here, or even a week on mission trips, serving the weak and the marginalized, the most broken, and walk away going, eh, it's okay. I've never once heard somebody say, 
Those are four hours I'll never get back. (laughs) Do you know why? There's something in us where when we give of ourselves to others, we feel most alive. There's something in you and there's something in me. It's what God created us. Is when we give of ourselves to others, it makes us better. Do you know why some of our lives seem very small? Let me tell you why our lives seem very small. The contradictory irony is, uh, the, irony is the, the bigger you get in your own eyes, meaning the more time you spend for yourself, your priorities, your desires, your wishes, your wants, your time, the more you do that, the smaller your life actually feels. I'll tell you why. You and I were created to be people of significance. And if you're not making a difference to anybody, you're not changing anything, you're not giving of anything to contribute to anything, you're not doing any of that stuff, your life begins to feel insignificant because you're not contributing, changing, making better anything or anyone. I've told you guys all the time, and if you're in your 20s, I wish somebody would tell me in my 20s, your greatest fear should not be that you'll fail. That's our biggest fear. I'll fail my career. Your greatest fear shouldn't be that you'll fail. Your greatest fear is that you will spend the rest of your life for something that at the end of the day will not matter. You will pour out your entire life for something that will not matter. Are you generous with your time? Every time I preach on stewardship, there's always somebody who goes, why don't you talk about time? And then, okay, so I'm talking about your time. I'm answering your question. Well, how generous are you with your time? If you went home today and said, in my last week, this upcoming week, outside of work and so on and so forth, how many of the extra time do you have? Will it be given towards others? And how much of it will be for you? Look, I'm not. I'm not knocking leisure and going to games and stuff, you know. I mean, go please go see games besides the Cubs because that is a royal waste of four hours. You will never get back. Anyway, that's another story. That's another story entirely. Okay, I don't know why I went there. Just sent some bitterness, yes. Um. <laughs> hey, some of you our spiritual is apathetic and dead. You know, not for every. Do you know why? There's a time in your life where you poured out yourself in service of others. You gave. Your life mattered for significance to something somewhere. In the last months and years, it's been about you. I'm telling you, our life begins to feel really small. Okay. Secondly, then Paul says, be rich in good deeds. And then he says, be generous and willing to share. To which we go, I share. I'm generous. Can we really be honest? How many of you guys have been sitting here for the next? By the way, I'm so encouraged that uh, the attendance didn't like totally dip during this sermon series because I'm going, they're not going to want to hear this. But you're like masochists. You like pain. You keep coming back for more. Okay. Anyway. Um, the same thing that's true of our time is true of our money. What do I mean? You know how we're rich in options when it comes to time? We're rich in options when it comes to money. 
And now those of you, a handful of you are like, you that's not me. I, I agree. There's a small percentage of you. But for a lot of us, for a lot of us, how many of you guys have ever done this? You walk into a store and you see something that you didn't need or you didn't know that you needed until you saw it and you said, oh, I need one of those. <laughs> Raise your hands high. Come on, how many of you guys walked into a Target and you said, I didn't even know that existed. I didn't know that it existed. But now that I know it exists, I need one of those. <laughs> Anybody? Yeah. How many of us put in that place where we go, I don't, oh, wow, I need that. Why do you need that? I don't know. I just didn't know I needed it. But now that I see I need it, I need it. This isn't good enough. We do that with, and then we do this. And I, this is where it gets, well, and then we do this, whether we say it out loud. Well, actually, some of us say it aloud. And I've said this before, and I've heard other people say it. You know, I just, I just enjoy and like the finer things in life. <laughs> Please don't say that around people. <laughs> I love you. I'm going to tell you. Because I'm guilty. Nobody comes out of their mother's womb appreciating the finer things in life. Nobody comes out of their womb going... This pillow is so soft. It's silk. I love silk. <laughs> Nobody does that. Nobody does that. Nobody. You know, you know what? Someone who says, I enjoy the finer things in life or things that, you know what that is? That is, you now have money to spend on things that you couldn't afford before. And now that you could afford that, you appreciate that. But here's the thing. Do you know that that's a luxury and not a necessity? Now we're going to get real personal. Do you know that many of us think what we consider necessity for a vast majority of people are luxuries does anyone know what i'm talking about they know okay because you're sitting there going i don't agree with you let me show you from the bible why this is so critical and by the way if you're a college student you're just starting out in life there's no more important biblical principle about generosity than what i'm going to talk about right here so please pay attention first timothy chapter 6 verse 9 here's what paul says check this out he says people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and think of and and just Hold on to the word trap. Trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And I, you know, this is the most misquoted verse in the Bible. Money is the root. Of, money is not the root of all. He says what? It's the love of. What is love of? Inordinate desire for. Whether you have it or not, inordinate desire for. Inordinate yearning for. Money is the root of all. And then he says, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This doesn't even need explanation. How many of you know families that were blown up because of money? How many of you know marriages that were blown up because of money? How many of you know people's relationships were because of money? Career. I mean, we all know people for whom the love of money desire from, whether you have it or not, ruined, brought destruction. Now, Paul goes, but here's how it happens. It's not somebody sitting there going, money, 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 money. I want money, money. That's not how it happens. How's it happen? This is so subtle. Paul says, if you want to get rich, have an inordinate desire for money, love of money, whether you have it or not, you're headed for a trap. The Greek word for trap. Pay attention. Greek word for a trap described a trap that was used to catch birds. And the thing about this trap, and this is the key, it was hidden. You couldn't see it. It was this hidden trap that would catch birds. Paul intentionally uses that word, a hidden trap, with harmful, foolish desires. The word foolish in Hebrew carried a huge sort of concept. A fool in Hebrew, okay, a fool in Hebrew context was someone who is wise in his own eyes. In other words, someone who is self-deceived. Someone who is unaware. Someone who is blinded to his own who he is. 
And Paul says, love of money, desire for money, has a spiritually blinding effect on you. Jesus comes along and he says this, watch out for all kinds of greed. Jesus never said, watch out for all kinds of adultery. Why? Because adultery is not bad? No. If you're committing adultery, you know you're committing adultery. Nobody just then goes, you're, you're, not, you're not my wife. Where'd my wife go? Hey, hey, who? Nobody does that. If you're committing adultery, you know you're committing. That's why Jesus says, never says, watch out for it. You know it. But Jesus said, watch out for Why? Watch out for greed. In my 20-some years of being in ministry, I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting for that godly man or woman to walk into my office and say, oh, I need to confess and repent of a sin that I've carried with me. What is it? I'm materialistic. Pastor Peter, I need to repent of my greed. I have never had a Christian come to me and say, I'm greedy, I'm materialistic, and there's spiritual anointing. Never. Do you know why? Nobody in this room thinks they're greedy or materialistic. You're blind. I am blind. Now, then Paul says, trap, and then he says this. It pulls you into harmful desires, and the word desires has a connotation of addiction. Now, check this out, you guys. This is so powerful for me. If you've worked with addicts or addiction, there's something called the tolerance effect. You know what the tolerance effect is? Tolerance effect is when an addict gets drugs in his or system, after a while, your body gets accustomed to it, used to it, and you need more and more of the drug to feel alive. Tolerance effect. And Paul says, that's what love of money does to you. This is where we're going to get personal and real, okay? Many of us start out life and there are things that we know to be necessities. But we start enjoying it, material, enjoying it. And we build a tolerance effect. What do I mean? Those things no longer satisfy. They're no longer, they're no longer, they're no longer the necessities. So that we find other things to satisfy sort of our craving and our desire for stuff. But then that no longer satisfies either. So we keep getting more and more. And eventually, before you know it, check this out. Your necessity, your necessity, that was a luxury, okay, has now become a necessity. And we get completely confused between, that's a luxury, man. No, 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 that's, not, that's a necessity. Can I ask you something? How many of you guys are sitting here today, and what you used to consider a luxury, you go, I need that. Uh, excuse me. Um, smartphones? Do you remember smartphones? Smartphones, yes? I was going to bring, I was going to bring my first smartphone. I kept it, man. It's like this big. Just to give you a visual, you know, it's one of these. You know where I'm at today? I'm actually tempted to get an iPhone 5. Why? Oh, higher resolution. The screen's bigger. Peter, you don't need iPhone. Yes, I do need an iPhone. What? Can I ask you another? I, I, I gave this example earlier. Coffee? Coffee. Okay, I'm a huge coffee nut. When I first started drinking coffee, do you know what we drank? So I drank something called Folgers. Have you ever heard of Folgers? <laughs> People in their 40s and 50s, can I get it? Amen. Dave Olson, you know what I'm talking about? Maxwell. And here's the thing. Listen, do you know how we drank coffee way back then in the old days? Listen to this. 
I'll talk about how we would actually boil water in a pot. <laughs> then we would get a cup. Then we would take out a big thing of Folgers, okay? And we would dip a spoon into it, and we would get coffee, put it in the cup. When the hot water was done, we would pour the hot water into the coffee and stir it. And that was instant coffee. That's what I drank. Death savages. (laughs) (laughs) A month ago, I was in Colombia, okay, where you have instant coffee out on the streets, right? And I actually uttered these words. I actually uttered these words. I said, oh. What I will do for a latte from my Nespresso machine at home. <laughs> you know what I have at home now? I have this thing called the Nespresso. It's a Nespresso machine. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. It actually makes foam. <laughs> I pour coffee into it, press a button, heats the milk, creates foam. They have these things called capsules. I put the capsule in, put a cup. Press a button, and two minutes, I have a delicious foamy latte. And I'm sitting in Colombia going, instant street coffee. When did, excuse me, when did I get to a place where coffee is coffee, but savages, I'm not drinking my coffee. Wait, when did I get to, excuse me, when did you get to a place Will you go to sushi restaurants and go, oh, it's not very fresh. Raw fish is raw fish, you know what I'm saying? Like, are they very de- When, when did we, listen, I'm picking on you. When did we get to a place where things 10 years ago would have been like, are you kidding me? I get to have that. Today, we complain because we feel entitled. See, I told you I was going to open your grill this morning, right? So we talked about this morning. What is it for you? I want you to talk. What used to be a luxury that now is a necessity? And you're sitting there going, how did I get here? Shoes. You remember those days? Yeah, shoes, shoes. Zappos is an invention of the devil. I just said, okay, if you don't know what Zappos is, that's a good thing. What else? Starbucks? <laughs> Thank you. Do you remember? Do you remember dial-up? You said they're going, oh my gosh, I get downloaded stuff from somewhere. Where's the, and what do we do now? It's not fast enough. Because it's not G5 or G6 or whatever. What else? GPS. What, you know, travel. Anybody travel? Do you remember when you were like, I get to like actually get on a plane and go to places, and now we, you guys, what's my point? My point is this. <laughs> if you don't realize the spiritually blinding effect of money has on you, you're sitting there going, I don't have anything to give when you do. I don't have anything to offer when you do. I don't have any extra when you do, when I do. We sit there going, uh-uh. 
Because I think ultimately at the end of the day, it's literally all about us and how much we spend on us and luxury necessities. And we look and go, huh? And by the way, just on a side note, how I'm going off on Social conditioning is another factor in the city. In the city, you experience this. I'm hanging out at a coffee shop and over here is a guy who's a writer making $10,000 a year, barely getting by. Over here is a woman who teaches writing at a community college. Over here is an editor at a publishing company. And over there is a woman who owns a publishing company. All of those people are hanging at the same place. So we're all looking and comparing, going, I'm not as rich as you. I'm not as well off as you. I'm not. I'm not. And so we continue to go, spend on me, spend on me. I don't have anything. You guys, can we just be honest this morning? If we just lowered our lifestyle a little bit, wouldn't we have so much more to give? Wouldn't we be so much more radically generous? We go, I feel pressure. We feel pressure because as soon as our income goes up, guess what none of us does? As soon as our income goes up, we go, nope, this is all I need. Necessity. No. Our income, our spending expands as our income increases. And we're constantly bumping against our income, our spending habits, our spending lifestyle. And we go, I want to feel financial pressure. You wouldn't feel financial pressure if you said, this is where I'm going to live. I don't give this much away. The tolerance effect and that kind of social conditioning, Paul says, it traps you. It's why you feel trapped or strapped, I should say, financially. What used to be a luxury now is a necessity. And some of us, can be honest, are trapped in this rat's race of having to earn and earn. Why? To keep up living costs that used to be negotiable and now are non-negotiable. And by the let me just say this more. It's not just for people who have I'm serious. If you're sitting here this morning and you're going, boy, I'm getting, I'm, I'm taking delight in the fact that he is yelling at those people with money. They are, and you're sitting here going, I'm envious, I'm jealous, I'm resentful about the fact that people have all kinds of stuff and I don't. If, if that's you, you're trapped. You're trapped just as much. Let's get real practical, shall we? Okay. Let's get real practical. By the way, you know, you know the other thing I'm waiting for for the first time? <laughs> I'm, waiting for, I'm waiting for an opportunity when I'm doing like marital counseling, you know? And the problem and the issue is the husband will come in and go, Pastor Peter, I can't get her to spend more money. I just throw catalogs and go, spend more money. And she's like, nope, I don't want to do it. I just can't do it. So we're having huge marital issues. Never. Never. <laughs> I've never had someone come to me and say, we have marital issues because my wife is just too generous and will not spend money on herself. Never. You know what I do get a lot of, though? Married couples have huge marriage issues. Why? Finances. And ultimately, at the end of the day, it's not about radical generosity to others. It's about my desires, my wants, my priorities, bumping up against your wishes, your desires, and your wants. And who's going to win? Real practical, you guys. Ready? Here we go. Predecide, 
and be systematic about giving. Let's say this together. Ready? Predecide and be systematic about giving. What do I mean? If you don't predecide and you and I are just spontaneous, we will never, we will never, ever be radical, radical and rich in, in good deeds. We will never be, if you don't predecide and are systematic, be radically generous with our time. If you do not predecide and are systematic about here's an organization, there's an organization, I'm going to predecide, determine in advance how much time during the week, how much during the month I'm going to give. You're always going to fill up the time for you. Think about it this way. Do you love this church? Yes. You got to be careful who I ask that to. Do you love this church? Are you glad that God is at work here? Amen? Yes. Imagine what would happen on Sundays if people who serve decided spontaneously that they wanted to serve. If people in this church decided, pre-decide, determine, that's boring. I'm just going to wait till Saturday. No, I'm going to wait till Sunday morning. People on the worship team decided, I'm going to wake up Sunday morning at 8, go, ah, okay, I feel like serving today. I think I'm going to go. Do you know what you would have here? You would have utter, utter nonsense chaos. Do you know why this works? Do you know why you're being served every week? Not because people have time. People who said, I'm strapped for time just like you, but I have predecided and predetermined to serve this church once a week. How about you? How about you? I'm not even asking you to serve our church. Is there some place where you decided, now all the time, it's not just going to be for me and my wants. There's a place, a week, a month, I'm going to give. Predetermine, predecide to give of your time some place. And you know what's going to happen? The thing, how many of you guys have noticed this before? When that happens, you know, eventually your heart begins to be in that place. You know what I'm talking about? When you do it, here, even in this church, once in a while there, your heart never is invested. But when there are places you go and you serve consistently, systematically, predetermined way, your heart begins to be captured. So at the end of the day, when they come and go, thank you. No, you go, no, no, thank you. Because this isn't just about you. You have no idea what it's doing for me. Predecide, determine, systematic. Is there an organization or two that you can do that with? Secondly, same thing with money and resources. Predecide and systematically give a portion of your income somewhere. Let me tell you something that I learned a while back that was very helpful for me. The 10 10 80 principle. The 10 10 80 principle. What is that? First and foremost, give to God. Give to God. Give to God. The first check you write, write it out to God. Just write it out in the beginning of the month and go, that's for God. It's not spent on me, anything else. That's for God. Old Testament, it was called a tithe. It was an agricultural society, and what people did was they bundled the best of the crop, the very best of the crop, and they tied that crop to the Lord. It was a way of saying, God, before I spend anything else on me, priority is you, priority is your value, your kingdom, so the best and the first for you. How many of us give God leftovers? We don't even serve, we don't even serve leftovers to our guests. You know what I mean? When I have important people come into my house, I'm going to open the refrigerator and go, see all the Tupperware? Anything you want. <laughs> Anything you want. Anything you want. What's this over here? Oh, that's Gracie Chinese food. It's like a month old. Mm, no thanks. What's this? Oh, that's Thai food from like two weeks ago. Mm, no thanks. What's this? Oh, that's, that's sushi from like six months ago. Go at it. None of us opens Tupperware and goes, here's our guest. Why do we do that to God? The creator of the world? We open up our Tupperware and go, God, here you go. Does it make any sense? Thankfully, technology, we live in a world where you, like, the bank 
I don't know how this all works. You sign up somewhere, and the, the bank automatically sends a portion at the beginning of each month. You don't have to think about it. Find an organization. See, I'm not even asking you to give to this church. I'm not even asking you if you want to give to our church because you believe in the mission of it, fine. But don't hear me go, find some place somewhere where systematically people determine you go, I believe in that, I'm committed to that, I value what they do. Here. Predetermine. Be systematic. Otherwise, you're constantly going to give God leftovers and give other people. Secondly, save. Save 10%. There's an infallible human rule. Spending expands to fill the income. We just get by no matter what we make. And putting some money aside bridles needless spending. Can I just say this, though? And, and this, by the way, is a direct answer to a question someone asked. And I said this earlier this morning. You disagree with me? I won't be offended. But here's my perspective. 401K. Saving for retirement. Do you believe in that, Peter? I don't. Well, what, what do you... I'll tell you why. Listen to very carefully. Do I believe that you should put some money aside and save? I absolutely do. But not so that I could put my security and my hope there in case something goes wrong. No, that's Jesus. I don't save. Particularly so that when I'm 65... I'm like in Daytona Beach, Florida, getting the sun and playing golf. I said this this morning. Listen, if saving in retirement means at the end of that, you take it easy and enjoy your life, please count me out. And I don't want to sound overly spiritual, but I mean this when I say this. I want to be serving God into the kingdom. I want to be serving God to my last dying breath. I am convinced that every single one of us, nobody dies early here. We all have a limited days, limited number of days on earth. And when my days are up, I'm going to say to God, God, take me. I'm done. I don't want to be here a day longer than I need to. I'm here for the number of days that God has me. I don't live for my family. I don't live for church. I don't live for those things. Those are empty if I don't realize that at the end of the day, my security, my hope, my retirement is God and God alone. Let me say this. Save, absolutely. Put aside, absolutely. Do you know why? Because when I'm 63 and God says, I want you to go to India, Peter, that at that point, I don't have financial constraints to go. God, I can't go because I got this. At that point when God says, 63, radical obedience, go to India. I can say, yes, Lord, and I'm on a plane. That's why I would save. If you're offended by this and you disagree and you want to take it easy in your retirement, I'm not going to judge you. That's you. But for me, limited days of on earth, I'm going to be serving God into heaven. And when I'm done, take me, God. I will not make my security and my hope in wealth and finances and money aside so that I can take it easy. Am I crazy? So if you're sitting there going 401k, do it. By all means, save. It's wise. But don't put your hope there. Don't put your security there. And don't do it so that you could take it easy at the end of your life. Serve God to your last dying breath into the kingdom. Amen? Then third is live on the rest. Live on the rest. Choose the percentage that you want to live on and stick with it. If you don't have a budget, good Lord, please get a budget. Find a budget. We offer these financial classes in our church. When they offer it, please take it. Every single one of us is already living on a percentage. Don't you want to, don't you want to be the one to determine that rather than having your life determine it for you? 
Average American spends $1.22 for every dollar they make. Did you hear what I just said? Average American, average household in America has $8,700 of credit card debt. We are paying for things that we wore two years ago. We are paying for things that we ate six months ago. Figure out what the percentage is. And again, I said to you earlier, if you're a student starting out, listen, it's inevitable that your lifestyle is going to continue to increase. And if you don't bridle that and go, I'm going to predetermine and systematically say, this is for God and his kingdom, and this is for me, it's going to just slowly creep up. And before you know it, you're going to go, where did it all go? What does this all mean? When did luxuries become necessities? When did things that I uh, used to think, oh, if I could only have that, become all of a sudden, I'm entitled to that. I don't have it, so I'm upset. Can you imagine how the percentage of Christianity would change if we outgave and outserved everybody in our culture? Can you imagine what kind of a witness we would leave if we outgave and outserved everybody in our culture. I'm serious, you guys. I'm Come on. We live in the richest country in the world, and yet we live in the country where spiritually the church is losing its witness daily. And you go, it's not because there aren't enough people on TV talking about Jesus. It's certainly not because there aren't enough churches in every corner. It's not. Why is that? Maybe it's because non-Christians in our country have yet to see a radical Jesus example of Christians living with their money and their time. Maybe they're tired of all the talk of what Christians love Jesus. Maybe they're tired of all, maybe what they want is, can you show me? What's this look like for you? It's really hard to dislike and hate somebody who is giving generously to you regardless of what you believe. It's really hard. It's really hard for people to hate you when you go, I'm here to serve, but you don't even agree with, doesn't matter. But I'm not a Christian, doesn't matter. What kind of a witness and a legacy are you and I leaving in this non-Christian culture? Good Lord. Oh. You know where the motivation is, CC? You know what the motivation is? Because you all know I can't end with the So go and do it. Go try hard. I can't end with that. I can end with the gospel. What do I mean? Did you notice verse 19? It's, my, it's where motivation comes from. In this way, it says they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. Everybody say coming age. Coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. If you're a Christian, do you know where your motivation comes to live radical, sacrificial lives? Do you know where it comes from? It comes from the truth of the gospel. What do I mean? The gospel that says the kingdom of God has entered history, hello, to renew the whole world. The kingdom rule and reign of God through Christ and the resurrection has entered history to renew the whole world. And what God is up to is restoring, renewing this material world. What awaits us is the coming age. What awaits us is the coming kingdom. What awaits us is a life of without disease, death, hung, hunger, suffering, injustice. What awaits us is the kingdom's rule and reign, tangible renewal. Why is that important? Do you know why it's hard to suffer? Do you know why it's hard to face death? Do you know why it's hard to face sickness? Because we think this world is all we're going to have. Think about this. Think about a cancer patient today who says, what awaits me? And if what awaits them is nothing, 
Nothing. You're not a Christian. You're an atheist. There's nothing beyond this. This is it. Think of what that means to cancer patient. Think of what it means to somebody who says, oh, I believe in a spiritual heaven where I just go and spirit. What? But think of what it means for that cancer patient who says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're telling me there's an age, a world coming where I'm going to have a healthy body and I'm going to live the life I always longed for? And the answer to that in the Bible is what? Yes. What if you that person's hope? Do you know why it's hard to sacrifice our money and our lives for others? Because we think this world, this life, this money is all we're going to have. What if you and I believe what the Bible says, which says this world, this life, my body, my money, this is not all the only money, not only life, this is not the only world, this is not all there is to it, but God is about restoring and renewing and bringing about another world in which the life that I always long for will be given and then some. Is that good news? Why do you think the first Christians in the world, why do you think first Christians in Rome were so radically sacrificial and generous? Read the book of Acts. Because Jesus died for us, I can go to heaven. No, he has risen. Jesus Christ has risen. There is a new world coming. And so as I sacrifice my time, my life, my energy, my resources for this world, this is not the end. There is the age to come. Is that good news? What else would give you and I hope and strength and courage to sacrifice our time, our lives? What would do it? The coming kingdom of God. How much more courageous would you be if you knew that this world wasn't the only world you're going to have? You don't have to live with the perspective. Live it up. Whoever dies with the most toy wins because Jesus says, Oh no. You have no idea of what is coming. I mean, with this, this is the thing I love about our church. Um, September 6th, September 6th, let me catch my breath. September 6th. One of our church members, a good friend of our family, is a tight-knit group of people. She wrote an email. She said, hi, loved ones. September 6th, just want to let you know of a need. Dana Robertson was admitted to the ER and in the hospital over the weekend and received five units of blood. She needs a surgery as soon as possible, but they won't operate on her until she has the funds up front. The cost is $3,000, half of the original price because they are uninsured. She needed a hysterectomy. I would love for us to present her with the money by the end of the week, if possible, September 6th. Then I get another email, September 7th. Thank you so much for your overwhelming response. As of tonight, we have raised $2,405 for Dana. I also sent an application to the church in their benevolence fund. That's a fund that we have to help folks. So we should be able to give her the 3000 within a few days. I spoke with Dana today on the phone to let her know that she can go ahead and schedule her surgery. When I called, she had been praying and crying. And by the time we finished talking, she was laughing. God is so good. Thank you for being a part of her answer to prayer. Please continue to lift them up in prayer as they are still working through this. And then the next day, September 8th, thank you so much you gave. As of tonight, we raised $3,155. That's you. It's you, the church. 
September 9th. Hey, community, please keep Dana in your prayers. This Saturday, September 15th at 8 a.m. is when she goes through surgery at Swedish Covenant Hospital. Practical needs are meals after surgery. Can anyone organize meal baby for the first two weeks of the meals? Also, is anyone available to watch Sam and Ella, their kids, Saturday and Sunday? Then September 11th, hey, thank you, Laura Hepker, who set up the meal baby. Thank you, Pradeep and Laura Hayes for offering to babysit either Saturday or Sunday. We need a few more babysitters so we can work in shifts. Please let me know if you're available and we'll work out a schedule. This will allow Bruce, her husband, to be in the hospital to support Dana before and after surgery and give them peace of mind that their kids are in good hands. This is our church. This is the reason why as much as I've been shouting at you for the last three days, three weeks, it's not because you're clueless. It's because we're afraid. It's because we're anxious. It's because we want to have generous feelings, but we haven't acted on that yet. And at the end of the day, you've got to ask the question, is God big enough for things like this? The answer, 